forward to moving on with your life and starting a career. That's, that's, the, the, that's how you enter that next season of life uh, with students. So, sounds good. Okay, I, I know uh, some, some of our students are not here, especially the, our lady leaders. So, uh, they asked me, uh, to make sure that that we record the, the Q and A, so I'm sure James is on top of that. Um, we have a lot of questions this morning. As you know, we do Bible Q and A every I don't know two three months, and and I was thinking a couple weeks ago that it's been it's been a long time since we had one. I think the last one was back in December, uh, so I went longer than, than usual. It's been a few months. Um, and the questions that have accumulated, we have for this morning, the questions that were turned in, 24 questions. Uh, just to let you know, we're not going to cover all 24 questions. And um, I'm, sh- I'm sure we will get to the rest next time, Lord willing. So if your question is not answered, uh, just be patient with me and we will answer those questions Next time, okay. But a lot, a lot of the questions that you turn in are very, very exciting, very um, thought-provoking. I, it, you know, it shows that you guys are reading your Bible. It shows that you guys are thinking about what you're reading. It, it shows that you guys are thinking about your relationships that you have, especially with your friends here at school, uh, your relationships with your with your family. So, so that's kind of what I'm seeing from your questions. So I'm excited about the the, the answers. And uh, you also have some questions about God's word and and, and other things. So uh, I want to answer as many as I can. So make sure you guys have your Bibles because I will be turning to a lot of passages this morning. And some of them I'll just refer them. We're not going to go and, and read every every passage that I refer to. So make sure you just write them down. Uh, make, make sure you listen fast. I'm going to talk fast. So you listen fast and write Write notes really fast if you're a note taker. And um, if you miss something, uh, raise your hand. I'll repeat it. Um, or, or just ask me later. I can, I can show you my notes uh, after this morning, okay? So here's, here's the first question, easy one. We'll start with, with easy ones. Is the rumor true that you're having baby number five? And the rumor is true. We are having baby number five. So... Yes, yeah, so, you know, Ruthie just turned eight. We have Toby, who is seven, and uh, Junie, who's three, and Teddy, he's going to be two, and, uh, and then this new baby, I think the baby's due, you're six? Yes, you're six, yeah. When you have four, if you're off one year, it's, it's fine. You know, it's like homeschooling, like, what grade are you in? Seventh. And you're like, well, you're in eighth. It's the same thing. Um, <laughs> so this this number five is due sometime in December, and um, we we don't know uh, the gender. We don't know how many uh, twins run in Leslie's family, and they say it skips a generation. So Leslie's dad he has a twin, and it skips. So Leslie doesn't have a twin. So now her her kids will have the chance of being twins. And they said that the older you get in your pregnancy, don't say that Leslie's older, but the, but the older you get in your pregnancy, the higher the chance of having twins. So if, we, if the Lord blesses us with twins, um, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> um, but I'm sure it'll be a blessing and fun to have six children. So yeah, that, that rumor is true. Uh, you know, congratulate Leslie when she gets back. Uh, she really needed this weekend as, as, a, uh, you know, as a break and to just be with the other ladies and to learn from, from Martha Peace. Uh, next question, how do you know if you're praying in accordance to God's will or not? How do you pray for things like health, safety, and things that are outside of God's will? Okay, so first of all, 
uh, you, need, you need to know God's will. Okay? If, if your goal is to pray in accordance to God's will, well, you need to know God's will. How are you going to do that? You, well, you need to be swimming in God's word. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be studying your Bible. You need to particularly know what God wants for you, what he wants you to do, and what he does not want you to do, and what he has not given you. So that's pretty much how you know his will, and those are the things that you'd be praying for. But uh, the, the, the next, the, the part two question here, I want to address a little bit because... It sounds like things like health, safety, and things that are outside of God's will. Well, well, those things, specifically health, safety, uh, and other things, maybe even desires and wants and wishes and all those things, those are actually not outside of God's will. So you can pray for those things. You know, when, when, um, when this, this whole pregnancy thing, right? I've been praying for Leslie. She, she is in the older category to, to be pregnant. Um, so, I, so I pray for her health, right? That's not outside of God's will. You know, she went to the women's retreat. You know, it's a two-hour drive going up the mountain with three other ladies in the car in an SUV. So she's used to driving a van. Now she's driving an SUV, higher risk of tipping. <laughs> That's just how I think. You know, when you, you're going up the mountain and you you know swerving and going like that. So I I prayed every day for her safety, for protection. You know, that she would she would not speed, that she would not be on her phone and that she would make it back home. That's not outside of God's will. Okay. Health and safety and other things, those are those are not outside of God's will. If you want a, a passage, you know, just look at Matthew six, right? If you're trying to learn how to pray and if you're trying to learn what to pray for. Go to Matthew 6, and that is where you'll find the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And when you get to, I believe, verse 5, Jesus tells the disciples what to pray for, right? That that God's name would be honored and that his kingdom will come, right? That Jesus Christ will will return and set up his kingdom for, for, for people. And he said, you know, also pray for provision for food, so that's not outside of God's will. You know, if you, if, you, if you normally don't get your three meals a day, you should pray for the Lord to provide. Um, if you're trying to go to college, but it's expensive, you should pray for the Lord to provide for that. Um, and then also there, Jesus taught them to pray for, for forgiveness, you know, to forgive others just as they have been forgiven. So that's also in God's will. And then the last verse there in verse 13, for, for protection. Protection from Satan, from evil, from harm. So all those things that you can pray for are fine because they're, they're, they're still under God's will. So um, yeah, st- study God's will, be, be in the word. I wouldn't worry so much about, okay, I don't, should I pray for this? Because I don't want to say something that's not outside of God's will. Just pray for it and the Lord will, will reveal it to you. And if it does not happen... It's either no, it's not for you, or it's not yet for you. So, you know, he, he's your father if you're a Christian. So prayer is just communicating with your father in heaven. He should know everything that you need and everything that you want. So it should be that kind of relationship, that kind of communication. Number three, why do Catholics believe that taking communion is literally eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ? Why does our church, so our church here, NCC, and other, a lot of churches, uh, believe that it's only symbolic? Okay, have you guys ever heard that or thought about that, right? You probably have Roman Catholic aunts and uncles or grandparents or even friends. That's what they believe. The, the, that religion, that denomination, Roman Catholics, believe that, that it's eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, just as an overview, there are three main views of communion, okay? the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Right? We do that every uh, first Sunday here. Okay? So the three views, and they're all old views. The first one is transubstantiation. I'm sure you've heard of that too. Transubstantiation. So just focus on the word trans. It transforms is the point. So this is the view that the Roman Catholics came up with back in the 1200s, so early 1200s. They said that that the the wine 
and the bread would transform, not physically, okay, not, not, not the physicalness of the, the, the wine and the bread, but the substance that makes up the, you know, kind of like the essence, what makes bread bread, you know, not, not it's like whatever, whatever that thing is that you, that you don't really see. So, so that, those substances do turn into Jesus' literal blood and Jesus' literal body. So when you take communion as a Roman Catholic since 12, the 1200s, you are doing that. You are eating and drinking uh, the flesh and, and the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's trans, trans, it transforms, substantiation. So 1,200-something years. Um, the next one is, is the view consubstantiation. So this I remember this. I know, I know con is Latin, but it's also Spanish, and it's with, right? Like, like uh, uh, tortilla con queso, you know, like tortilla with cheese, right? With cheese. So, so consubstantiation came 300 years after uh, transubstantiation. You know, now the reformers are... Are, are coming up. Now they, they're studying the Bible. You know, they know the Greek and the Hebrew, so they're knowing a lot more about the Bible. And they're, they're starting to realize that the Roman Catholics have a lot, had a lot of things that were wrong. And number one was transubstantiation. So, so Luther actually came up with consubstantiation. He said, he said that, yes, the, the, the blood and the... Uh, it's not literal blood. It's not literal... Uh, uh, body, you know, the, the, the wine and the bread, they don't turn to that. Uh, but what, ha- what does happen, according to Martin Luther, is that when you take communion, when you drink the wine and when you eat the bread, Jesus comes down and he is there with you, presently with you, among you. You don't see him, of course, right? But that's what Martin Luther believed. That's what the Lutherans believe today. So con, with. So nothing happens to you know, nothing happens to the to the elements, but what happens is that Jesus comes down and he is with you when you take communion. Well, we don't believe transubstantiation, we don't believe consubstantiation. Th- those two things are not really taught in the Bible. You don't see those things in the Bible. What what we believe and what we practice today is what's called uh, I don't know I don't even know if there's a title, but remembrance view or memorial view. Okay, memorial view. When when you hear that, maybe it sparks a little bit, like oh, like like a memorial service, like for for a dead person. In a sense, yes, you know. But this dead person is alive today. You know, Jesus Christ. He did die. That's what we're remembering, and he also rose from the dead. That's also what we're remembering. So when you take communion, if you're a Christian, you are to take communion, remembering. Okay what Jesus Christ had done for you. He, he bled his blood for you and his body w- suffered for your, for, for your sake on your behalf on the cross so that you would receive what? Forgiveness. Okay, his blood covered you. Remember the Passover from Matthew 13? Uh, Matthew four, uh, sorry, Mark 14. His blood covered you, so now God's wrath passed over you and he did that on the cross for you, for sinners like you and me. So when you take communion as a Christian, that's what you are remembering. And you respond in humility and gratitude. So nothing happens to the elements, and Jesus does not come down and be with us. So, so yeah, we, we, we practice the symbolic remembrance memorial view, not the other two. Uh, fourth question, what are your favorite verses to evangelize with? Yes? Sorry, can we look at Okay, go, go back actually to verse 35. Okay, so Jesus is talking to the crowd. Okay, lots of people to the crowd. Verse 35 of chapter 6 in John. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. 
and he who believes in me will never thirst. Okay? So now, when you're, when you're reading your Bible and you come to analogies or symbolisms like this, you have to ask the question, is this literal or symbolic? Um, now, here's, here's kind of a simple um, guideline for interpretation when it comes to things like this. Would it be absurd to take it literally? And if the answer is yes, then it's most likely not literal. Would it help with clarity if it's taken symbolically? If the answer is yes, then most likely it is symbolic. Okay? Is it going to be absurd to say that you need to eat Jesus and drink his blood and you will never thirst again, you'll never go hungry again? Well, that's absurd, okay? So it's probably symbolic. Well, does it add to the clarity? And, and it will. So look down in verse 41. Therefore the Jews, okay, out of the crowd, now the Jews rise up, were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? So interesting, because they weren't really all, all ticked about him saying that he's the bread, physical bread. They're ticked about saying that he came from who? From the father. And they're saying, you're just like us. You know, we know your parents. You know, we went to the same home school. We played the same sports. You're just like us. And now you're saying as an adult that you came from God the Father? So that's, that's, what, that's what's causing them uh, an offense, not because Jesus said he's bread. So even they did not take that literally because they, they knew that that was symbolic. So look at... Look at, to, look at a verse um, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. You know, believes in him, believes in the gospel. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, now, verse 49, okay, should I take that literally? If I took that literally and it's absurd, then it's, prob- it's probably not literal. Your fathers ate manna in the, you know, the, the Israelites in the, ex, in the, in the Exodus, the, the, the five books of the Bible by Moses, in the wilderness, and they died. Okay, that's not absurd. You know, they did, God did provide them physical bread, and eventually they did die, so that's not abs- absurd interpretation, so that's literal. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat, may eat of it and not die. Okay, so now that's symbolic because, because he's talking about what he just talked about in verse 47. Who be, who, he who believes has what? Eternal life. It doesn't mean that you will not die physically here if you believe Jesus Christ. It means that you will not, you will not die uh, spiritually. You're not going to spend your, 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 your eternity in hell. You will be with God in heaven and be with him for all eternity. So that's the death that he's referring to. So therefore, verse 50, the bread is not the literal manna like verse 49 is talking about. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world, which is my flesh. He's referring to his future um, sacrifice of his flesh on the cross. So so yeah, it when when you're when you're reading your Bible, especially in Revelation, especially in the prophets, and you're asking the question, okay, is the sword really going to come out of Jesus when he come, when he returns? Ask ask those two simple questions. Okay, is it going to be absurd to take that literally? And is it going to be uh, is it going to give clarity if I took it symbolically? So, I mean, it's not that black and white, okay, but that is a helpful way of interpreting analogies and symbolisms. Um, But here, the Jews did not like it that Jesus was saying that he came down from the Father in heaven. And he said, I did come down, like the food, like like the manna that he provided for the Israelites. The Israelites ate it, but they still died physically. But me, if you eat me, figuratively, symbolically, you will never die because I offer you eternal life. And the Jews still did not like that. 
So, good. Now, yeah, the communion, though, that's, that's a slam dunk. That, that's, you know, Jesus does not, Jesus' body does not come down. Uh, his, the bread and the wine, they don't turn into those things when, when we take it. Because the purpose of communion is just remembering. Remembering what he's done for us. So, uh, Number four, what are your favorite verses to evangelize with? Uh, this is this is a great question because um, there's there are a lot of ways you can do this. Okay, I I, I tend to think about okay I I'm on a plane I have five minutes, you know five minutes because I have things to read I have kids to talk, you know to take care of, and you know my wife is right there and you know we're we're probably gonna fall asleep. So yes, even even though the flight is two hours I kind of have five minutes, and then. And then you also ha- also think about okay I have I have a cousin you know um, we see each other once a year or three times a year so that's a little bit different you know I I have uh, you know I have you guys you know some of you are unbelievers you know I see you Wednesday night I see you Sunday morning so that's a little bit different too um, and then you know grocery store and then your neighbors you know, you live you live right next to not right next door to them so you you can do a lot of things when it comes to evangelism. Um, but let's just say you're sitting with someone and that person is not a Christian. He has admitted it to you that he is not a Christian. And, um, and now you want to share the gospel with that person and now you are going to evangelize that person, give that person the good news, right? So uh, what I like to use is what's called the Roman road. Have you guys heard that before? The Roman road? Guess what book of the Bible it comes from? Romans. Romans. Good job, Isaiah. Good. Um, just, just write these things down, these passages, and I'll just read them to you. So Romans 3, 23 is the first one. And they're all, they're all thankfully in chronological order, right? So Romans 3, 23 says, Paul says there, For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. That means how many people? All. Does that include you who's already a Christian? Yes, does that include your friend who is not a Christian? Yes, so, so all, everybody, everybody have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's 323. And then you go to 5.8, okay, chapter 5, verse 8. But, okay, so you can, you know, if you want to highlight that conjunction, but you can say, hey, friend, you know, you, you are a sinner and you've fallen short of God's glory, okay? You deserve, you deserve wrath, you deserve punishment, you know, just, just like I did. But here in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God, that is true about all of us, but God demonstrates his own what? Love. Okay, God loves me, God loves you. So he demonstrates his love for, for you uh, that while we were yet what? Sinners. Okay? So because your friend might say, Well, I just need to get better. You know, I need to get really, you know, I really need to clean up my life and then I'll go to God and then he'll save me. You can say, no, Romans 5 verse 8 says, while you're still a sinner, you know, he demonstrated his love for you, friend, by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. So you don't have to wait for anything. You don't even have to wait for your feelings, you know, to feel good about yourself or to feel like you want to get saved. You don't need to wait for any of those things. All you need to do is to understand what I'm sharing with you from Romans 3.23 and Romans 5.8. And all you have to do is believe that by what? By what? By feelings? By experience? By faith. Right? Faith is to take God at what? His word. That's all you need to do. Forget your parents, forget your upbringing, forget your feelings. I'm giving you God's word. He told, he's telling you right now that you have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But he's telling you also that he loves you and that while you're still a sinner, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And then I go to Romans 6.23. So it's easy, right? 3.23, but 5.8, right? 6.23. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Okay? But the what? Free gift of God is eternal life. 
right? Why, why did God demonstrate his own love for you that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you? Why? Well, 623 starts with a four, a conjunction, which answers what kind of question? A why question. Why did he do that? For, because the wages of sin is death. Friend, you're, you're going to die physically and you're going to die spiritually. You're going to spend the rest of your life paying for your sins, which would take etern- you know, all eternity in hell. That's the wages of sin. But listen, the free gift, it's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to feel anything. You don't have to have good parents. You don't have to have Christian education. This is a free gift from God, and that is eternal life. Right? You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to go to NCS to be a Christian. You don't have to do anything. You just have to listen to what I'm sharing with you right now and believe it by faith, and that is the free gift that you are going to receive, eternal life. Here's the last passage that I go to, 1029. Okay, 323, 58, 623, 109. Okay, four passages from Romans. That's why you can call this the Roman road. Okay, so you've told your friend, hey, you're a sinner. You've fallen short of God's glory. You know, same as me. But God loves you, right? And he's demonstrated that already. You know, 2,000 years ago, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. And he loves you right now, even, even though you're still a sinner. Um, because, because what you deserve is death but his gift is eternal life. So you've, you've told him the, the, the truth. You've given him everything that he really needs to know about the gospel. Now, what, now do you just leave him and say, yep, just, just so you know, just FYI, okay, I just wanted to make sure that you knew. Is that what you're going to do? Or are you going to call him to do something? What are you going to do? You just say, hey, just FYI, you know, just so you know, you know, I just want to give you the information and the data, you know, just so you know, and then you end the conversation, or, or are you going to say, okay, you now know the data, and you now know the information, it's God's truth, it's not my opinion, right, so it's authoritative, it has authority over me, it has authority over you, so now I'm going to ask you to do something about it, right, because that's what Paul does, Paul a- asks people, his audience, to do something about, that, about what they just heard. So 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or Master or the authority, the one who now calls the shots, the one who now dictates how you live, and believe in your heart, so this is not just head knowledge, that God raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead, then you will be what? Saved. So you have to do something about what I just told you. You need to confess Jesus as, as your Lord. And guess what? It's getting harder and harder to do that today because those people who confess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and that they are Christians are getting what? More and more what today? And getting worse and worse and will get worse and worse. Persecuted. So think about it, young people. Right now, it's easy to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior because it doesn't really cost you that much. It doesn't really invite that much persecution yet. But at five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, once, once you guys are married and you're raising your kids in a Christian home, that's going to be much harder. So now you really know, you know, 20 years from now, I believe, just like what happened in history back then, um, in the Bible times and in the you know, Reformation times, that those who will confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior in the midst of persecution are truly Christians, not just professing Christians like a lot of young people today, like a lot of, uh, like a lot of you know, professing Christians today. Because who would say that I am now a Christian, I hate sin, I love righteousness, um, and now I love the church, I go to a church, who's going to say that and, and know that they're going to be persecuted and put in jail and, and be made fun of? Who's going to say that other than true Christians, right? Fake Christians will say, I'm not going to say that. It's not worth it. 
I'm not willing to pay the cost. I'm not willing to face the persecution. So Romans 10.9 is, is where you need to end with your friend because you're calling him to do something about what he just heard. You need to do something about the gospel. You don't need to feel something about the gospel. You just need to do something about it, which is confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe in him. Repent from your sin. So that's what I use. I don't know how long that was. Seven minutes, <laughs> right? Um, so you can use that. The Roman road, 323, right? 5863109. Okay, if you have your Bible, just highlight those. Or what I, what I used to do is I, I, I know that the Roman road is in the book of Romans. So when I open to the book of Romans, the first page of the book of Romans, I just have those verses, 323, 5863109. And then I just go, okay? If you want something that's, even shorter than that, you can go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. You know, it talks about Jesus Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. And Paul says, this is of first importance. This is the most important thing that I'm going to tell you, Paul says to the Corinthians. So he said, first importance. It's like super duper important. And he said the gospel, right? That Jesus died on the cross, was buried raised three days later. So you can use that. That's shorter than the Roman road. Okay? So yeah, just, just be clear that when you're evangelizing a friend that it's coming from God's word, not from your opinions. Because if they get offended, hopefully they get offended by God's word, not what you said or how you said it. Okay? You need... You want to make sure that the offense comes from God's word, not from you personally. If you're an offensive person, typically, you just bash people with the Bible. You're a sinner. You know, you hang out with those people. You need to, you need to believe the gospel. Let me give you the gospel right now. You don't even know the gospel? Ugh. If you're like that, then the offense comes from you, and, and God is actually not pleased by the way you share the gospel with people. Okay? So make sure it's not from your opinion, it's from God's word, so that when they are offended, it's from God's word. And when they, if they respond, they're also responding to God's word, not just, not, not to what you said. Okay? But you need to call them at the end. You need to do something about this. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this Jesus person? And it's repentance and faith. So, Number five. How was the Bible assembled and how were the books chosen? Man, this is, that's it. Forget the other 25 questions. Right? <laughs> we're going to use all of our time with this fifth question. No. Um, big question. Yeah, I should probably do a, a little sermonette topical on the canonicity. That's what it's called. It's not the, it's not the, the canon that, that, you know, that you use to shoot. <laughs> Um, the, can the canonicity is, is uh, to make something complete, to make something a standard. Okay, so, so when you hear the word canonicity in pertaining to the Bible, what that means is that all 66 books in the Bible has been canonized, or this is now the standard. No more, no less. Exactly just how God intended it to be. Okay, it's the standard, the complete product. So the question is, how, how were the books chosen? Um, I'll give you my five-minute answer, okay? Five-minute answer. Okay, number one, God established. Now I'll, give you, I'll give you the main words, okay? God established the books of the Bible when he spoke them into existence, right? We know that it's written by many, many, many people, right? Over 1,500 years, right? 40-plus places, right? But the main author, the, 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 the main source is God himself. So God established all 66 books when he spoke them into existence, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 talks about that, right? Breathed out by God. Men moved by God. So it, it was God all along from the first word to the last. Okay, so God established all 66 books in the canon. Number two, Jesus did 
two very important things. Now, Jesus, right, Jesus is born. You know, he lives, uh, he lives his human physical life on earth for 30 plus years, right? Jesus Christ did two very important things. Number one, he affirmed, okay, he affirmed the books of the Old Testament by his teachings, okay? He may not quoted every single book of the Old Testament, but he affirmed the big sections, the big, the, the big uh, categories of the Old Testament. Luke 24, 44 talks about that, you know, the, the, the wisdom and the writings and the prophets, right? Jesus said, so that's him when he was on earth teaching in the synagogues, teaching the Jews, teaching all the people, he was affirming what the Jews already had, you know, for a thousand years or more, which was the Old Testament. So that's the first thing that he did. Secondly, he authorized the books of the New Testament because the books of the New Testament did not come un until after Jesus left. Okay, so Jesus arrived. They already had the books of the Old Testament. So he established those books and then he leaves and then he authorized the apostles. They used to be called disciples when he was with them, right? Learners, disciples. When Jesus left, they became what? Apostles, which means sent ones. So he said, I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. I'm sending you to plant churches, to proclaim the gospel, to teach everything that, that I've taught you. So, so he, he, he authorized people like, people like you know, Matthew and, and, and those apostles. And so everything that they wrote was authorized by Jesus himself because they were disciples and now they're apostles of Jesus Christ. So God established, big picture, Jesus affirmed and authorized, okay? I'm giving you important words that you guys can remember if somebody asks you, well, God established everything. And then Jesus came, he affirmed what was already there, the Old Testament. And then he authorized what was added, the New Testament, through his apostles. And then lastly, number three, the church, okay? The, the, the church back then, after the apostles, um, recognized so you have established, you have affirmed, you have authorized, and now you have the church, what again? Recognized. They did not canonize the 66 books. Jesus already did that. God already providentially let that happen. The church simply, plainly, mainly just recognized Okay, the church recognized, the early church recognized all of the books in the Bible as the canon, but it took them 300 years. They didn't have internet like we do, no Wi-Fi, no Bluetooth, no, no publishing, you know, none, none of those things. So that's why it took about 300 years for, for the letters of the, of the apostles and for the, the Old Testament to circulate around the other churches and kind of kind of get passed around, and all those churches are recognizing, 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 recognizing that these 66 books are the canon. But again, it took 300 plus years because, you know, it was back then, you know, first century, first, second century. So after the circulation, you know, first, second, and third centuries, it was finally formally recognized, kind of put a label on it, that... It's just the six six books, no more, no less, by Athanasius in Nicaea. You know, just a smart guy. Just think of him as a really smart guy. Um, he said, "Hey, it's been circulating for a couple of, couple of uh, centuries. Um, all the churches are recognizing it, so we're going to make a formal, you know, authorized recognition. We have the Holy Bible, the Bible, six six books. All the other things will come later." You know, like Gospel of Thomas, you know, all those things, what the Catholics wanted to add, those things actually came, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. So God established it. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. He authorized the New Testament. The church did what at the end? Authorized it. Make sense? Recognize. Recognize. Ah, just testing you guys. Just testing you. I know it's a big, big, big topic, but that's how I would explain it simply. 
Good? Yeah. All right. Number six, what are good spiritual conversation starters to ask in a work environment? Anyone here is working right now? Good. Good. Here's one warning that I'll tell you. Don't be tempted to say, oh, I can't talk about the gospel because I'm on the clock. I need to, I need to you know, clock out to talk about the gospel. Don't, don't think that way. Because your unbelieving friends are talking about, you know, their, their um, you know, rec sport. You know, they're talking about their, their video games that they play. They don't say, oh, I need to clock out because, you know, I'm, I'm working. I can't be talking about other things like video games and, and rec leagues and swimming and all those things uh, because it doesn't pertain to work. No. As long as you're working, you know, if you're in the back in the kitchen, you're not talking to customers, talk to your coworker and do your work. Let them talk about what they like and you talk about what you like. If you're out in the, you know, up front, you know, Chick-fil-A, right, and it's all about customer service, you know, make, make sure that, that you don't do that because you're to talk to the customers, you know. Um, so I think you can find a balance to do that. But again, I just warn you, don't, don't fall into the temptation that I can't talk about anything spiritual. I can't talk about, talk about anything about my faith and about the Bible because I'm working. No, that. That's fine. Normal people talk all the time about other things other than work while they're working. It's, it's okay. Um, so, the question here, uh, spiritual conversation starters. Okay, how do you turn a conversation into a spiritual conversation? Um, th- this is a great question, and I want you guys to start thinking this way at work, at home, anywhere, even here. You know, playing crud? Play crud, that's fine, you know? You know, throw that ball with all your might, but, you know, make sure you, you can have and should have spiritual conversations, okay? So, I think about big categories when it comes to this, okay? I have, I have, I have uh, four big categories that I, that I think about in my mind where I can start taking questions to ask the people around me, okay? Here's the number one category. Um, I often ask about their upbringing and background, and, and I, you know, all these big categories apply to you. you know, so when you, have a, when you have a friend at work or when you have a friend here, you know, you just, you're thinking about, okay, their upbringing and background. So ask questions about that. Ask questions about that. You know, where did you come from? Are you from California? Are you going back there? Oh, what happened? And then if there's an opportunity to, to, to share God's truth in that, do it. There's your open door, you know. All, all you asked was, where did you come from, right? Upbringing and background. What do your parents do? Oh, your dad is a pastor? Oh, wow. Ask a question. You see a window for spiritual conversation? Enter it. You talk about it. Are you a Christian? You know, don't be, don't be embarrassed asking people if they're Christians or not. You know, just ask. You're just asking. You're just asking, right? And depending on their answer, you know, Turn that into a spiritual conversation. How did you become one? You know, how did you become a Christian? How do you know you're really one? Right? Are you a Christian? How did you become one? How do you know that you're really one? Good spiritual conversation starters. Uh, do you go to church? Oh, you don't? Oh, why not? What are you doing Sunday morning then? You know, oh, you go to church? You do? Oh, where? Okay, what do you like about that church? What is your pastor teaching through? Oh, Mark. Okay, what about Mark? Oh, that's great. The Pharisees, oh yeah. Peter, yeah. Spiritual conversation, you just ask questions. Upbringing and background. The second category I, I asked about is um, what they want to do in the future. Again, this is applicable to your, to your stage of life, what they want to do in the future. Uh, what do you want to study in college? Oh, uh, sociology. Uh, why? What do you want to do with that? No, I want, I want to study um, biblical missions. Oh, really? Why? Where do you want to go? You know, what are you going to do for those people? Why do you need to give them the gospel? All those questions. Do you want to get married? You don't? Why not? You, know, you do? Why? What do you look for in a guy, in a, in a lady? Why, why those categories? Why those characteristics? Why does he have to be a Christian first? You know, you're just asking questions and you're, you're looking for opportunities to turn into spiritual conversation. So upbringing and background, what they want to do in the future. And here's one thing that I like asking, especially this age. What do you do with your free time? (laughs) 
What do you do with your free time? Other than school and other than work, what else do you do? And is there anything that you would love to do but you can't right now, but if you had the time, you would love to do that. What is that and why? So that's another category. You know, ask, ask your friends here. You know, I know you have school. I know you have work. I know you have this. You know, have, I know you have church. I have all those things too. Uh, but tell me what else you do at home with your free time, especially in your bedroom. When no one's looking, just you and God, what do you do? Ask that question. That can turn into a spiritual conversation. The fourth big category is this, moral issues. And don't be afraid to ask about moral issues because guess what? You, you, you know, the majority of the population are facing all these moral issues. So just ask questions about moral issues. What do you think about all these riots that have been going on? That's not offensive because that's, you know, you, you see that on the news. Your coworker sees that on the news. You know, so ask, ask what they think about it. Right? What do you think about entertainment and social media? Oh, you have all those? Oh, wow. You have Instagram and Facebook and this and that and this. What do you think about those? Oh, you don't have them. Why not? Just more moral issues that you and your coworker, you know, you guys are, that's common to all people. So ask about those questions. What do you think of the new president? You like him? Why do you like him? You don't like him? Why don't you like him? Do you think, a, do you think a, our next president should be a Christian? What, why? Why should that president be a Christian? You know, just... So, so again, big categories, right? Upbringing and background, that's a good uh, starter. Uh, what they want to do in the future, another good starter. And what they're doing with their time now, another good starter. And moral issues, moral issues. Just ask questions and you're listening well, you're discerning, you have discernment, you have biblical discernment, right? And then you're waiting for those windows where you can enter in and, and turn it into a spiritual conversation. Again, you don't have, you know, when you're talking to your friend or a coworker, just because you did not open your Bible, it doesn't mean that you failed in a spiritual conversation, okay? It doesn't mean that you need to open your Bible, take notes, you know, give them a sermon. It doesn't always mean that way. Okay, uh, let me see. I need to pick quick ones here. Uh, okay, what are the best ways to fight off temptations? What are some passages that will help? So I think I should answer this because it's asking how you fight temptations and what passages can you use. So I'll give you both, okay? Here's, here's how I fight off temptations. And I, and I came up with these steps myself because I use them and um, also these passages. So here's how I fight off temptations. Number one, know and admit your weaknesses and struggles or ways that you are typically tempted, right? If you're going to fight something, you better know what you're fighting, right? So that's the first thing you need to do. Know them and, and listen to that other word that I included there, admit. Don't be like, oh, you know, I'm actually not that bad. I actually don't struggle with, you know, pornography. I actually don't struggle with anger. Actually, a little bit, you know, no, that's not, that's not what the Bible says that you need to do. You need to know them and you need to admit that you're susceptible to these temptations, right? If you want a passage for that is Proverbs 28, 31. Proverbs 28, 31. He who covers, right, his sin is not going to prosper. You know, if you're that person who's like, I don't have any weaknesses, I don't have any struggles, I, I, you know, temptations to me, that is just easy, I don't really fall into any temptation. You know, I'm 14, but I'm a strong Christian, yeah, I've been tested, you know, in all directions in the Christian life. Uh, no, Proverbs 28, 31 talks about, uh, 13 talks about just being honest with your sins and temptations and, um, and fighting them. So that's the first thing you need to do. Now, secondly, find godly friends who are not afraid to admonish you. 
Find godly friends who are not afraid to admonish you. Your friends, your close friends. It doesn't have to be all of your friends, but your close friends. You know, that person or those two people you call your best friends, they should know. They should know, guys, your weaknesses and struggles. They should know, okay? And if you're that friend who knows the struggles and the weaknesses of your other friend, you need to be courageous enough and not be afraid and not be embarrassed to admonish them when, when they need it. Proverbs 26, 6, 27, 6, Proverbs 27, 6, right? Faithful are the words of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It hurts when your friend admonishes you, but it's faithful. That's a true friend. Okay, so that's another thing. Find godly friends who are not afraid to admonish you. Number three, study and memorize passages that talk about that temptation. Look them up. You can Google them. Now that's easy. Or you can go to the back of your Bible in the, your concordance. Look them up. Study them and memorize those passages that deal with your temptations. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine to uh, have a Bible reading plan in a year or two years, but if there's a temptation that's that's really strong, take a break from your reading plan and say, "I'm gonna study uh, lust. I'm going to study anger. Those are the two big temptations against me right now. So I'm gonna look at my Bible. I'm gonna find every single passage that talk about lust and anger, and that'll take you probably eight months." But guess what? After eight months, you've memorized so many of them, and now, and now you have a way to fighting those temptations. Number four, develop a lifestyle that prevents sin. Okay, if, you, if you struggle with lust, with anger, you know, it's foolish to go back to those places and to hang out with those same people who provoke you to fall into those same temptations. Right? So develop a lifestyle that prevents sin and in a lifestyle that promotes holiness. That promotes holiness. So that's number four. Um, you know, if you want a passage for that, that's Romans 6. You know, the whole chapter is about that. And then number five, pray that God would help you fight temptations. Pray that God would help you fight temptations. We just studied that in Romans, I mean in Mark 14, right? The disciples fell into Temptation because they did not what? They did not pray. And Jesus was able to fight the temptation and say, not my will, Father, but your will, because he did what? He prayed. He spent time with his Father. So that's how I would fight off temptations. Know and admit your weaknesses and struggles. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Make sure that you guys have the passages. Find godly friends who are not afraid to admonish you, Proverbs 27, 6. Study and memorize passages that address the temptations, Romans 12, 2. Develop a lifestyle that prevents sin and promotes holiness, that's Romans 6. And number five, pray that God would help you fight off temptations, Mark 14, 38. That's how you fight it. You don't throw sticks at it. You don't. Here's how you know that you're not really fighting off temptations. Here's how you know that you actually love the temptation. <laughs> and you just tell your friends that you're struggling with it and you're fighting it because you want to look like and sound like you're actually fighting the temptation when you're really not. Here's how you know. Number one, you overestimate your spiritual maturity or your strength and you underestimate the strength of the temptation. Oh yeah, I can handle that. 11 o'clock at night alone in my bedroom, when everybody is asleep with my phone, access to the world wide web outside of my home, I can handle that. Nope. You're overestimating your own strength and you're underestimating the strength of the temptation. That's not good for you. Number two, you avoid people who ask the hard questions. Oh, uh, D groups, Wednesday night. Ah, oh, you know, Mr. James is always there, you know. I, you know, I don't play the games that they play, so I'm kind of right there on the sideline. But then he always comes up to me and asks me the hard questions. Oh, what should I do? I'm going to go up in the bunker and just pretend that I'm, you know, I, I don't know, playing crud by myself or something. That's not good for you, right? You avoid people who ask hard questions. Number three, you avoid passages that convict your heart. 
and you just focus on the gospel. I just need the gospel, the gospel. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven past, present, and future, all of my sins, right? I'm forgiven the gospel, just the gospel. Well, how about the passages that talk about your sin and your temptations that you're struggling with right now? Oh, no, 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 just the gospel. You just read a little bit of this, a little, little bit of that. No, nope, that's not good. Not a good sign. Here's another sign. You continue a lifestyle that flirts with sin and, um, and you get exposed to the same temptations. That's not good. You know that that place, you know that those people, you know that that time are not good for you. That's when you typically fall into that temptation, but you still flirt with them. That's not good. Number five, you neglect prayer because you know when you pray about that specific temptation, you're going to feel convicted and you don't like feeling bad about yourself, so you don't even pray at all. So I know those signs of fake fighting and fake battling temptations because I do them myself, but again, you need to know them. You need to know them. So I know you weren't asking for the the, the opposite, but I thought it'd be helpful for you to know because you need to know when you're actually not fighting temptation or you don't want to. Sounds good? Uh, let's see. Let me give you a last one. Last one that's, that's quick. Okay. Um, this is a quick one. How do you know or how do you work through one-sided friendship, especially in the church? So it sounds like here, in this ministry, how do you work through a one-sided friendship where you feel like you're the only one contributing and making the effort to keep the friendship alive? Here's my, here's my um, short answer. All of your friendships here, Outside, with your siblings, relationships, friendships, you know, with your parents, at work, at school, all of your relationships, and under those relationships, friendships with other Christians, all of those things should be governed by what? By love, right? Because guess what? Your relationship with Jesus Christ is governed, governed by the same thing. Think about it. How often do you think Jesus feels like he's the only one contributing to your relationship with him. <laughs> That's convicting to think about. Does he say, I'm done with Roy Augustine? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He continues to contribute to the relationship so that I can become more like him in my sanctification. Why is that? Because he loves me. So that's my simple answer. Your relationships should be governed by the same love that is governing your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you've heard it from me before, right? Uh, the biblical definition of love is to, to meet the need of the other person by doing good to that person at great personal cost, regardless of that person's worth or merit. So if that person doesn't return anything back, he doesn't even say thank you to you. She doesn't, she doesn't even recognize that you've been pouring into the relationship and she's not. That's fine. That's how God treats us. That's how Jesus treats us. Yes. Oh, uh, what do they say? Um, yeah, uh, biblical love, agape love, right? Unconditional love is to meet the need of the other person by doing good to that person at your great personal cost, it costs you a lot of times, regardless of that person's worth or merit, whether they deserve it or not. Right? That's how Jesus loves you, so that's how you love other people, especially your friends. And just pray, you know, pray. Pray that that friendship will flourish. Pray that that friend will become a godly friend, you know, not just to you, but to other friends. And that, um, and that, that, sh that that friend will grow in the pouring into the relationships. Here's, here's another thing that I would say. When somebody is not doing what the Bible is calling that somebody to do, you pray about it, you be patient about it, and then you model to them what you want them to do. Keep modeling it. Keep pouring into the relationship. Because if you stop pouring into the relationship, then you're not modeling what you want them to do. 
So pray and be patient and model it. But all that governed by love because your relationship with Jesus Christ is exactly the same way. Yet Jesus Christ does not, does not disown you and will never disown you. Sounds good? Okay, we'll stop there. Um, there's a lot more. We'll, we'll do it next time. I know the seniors, maybe this is your last Q&A, but um, if some of your questions were here, you can ask Mr. James in the future uh, for the recording, but I hope this has been helpful for, for all of you, okay? All right, let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for all these questions. I thank you for what you are doing in the hearts of these young people. Uh, they're, they're in your word. They're sensitive to your conviction. They're sensitive to obeying you. And they're thinking about the gospel. They're thinking about their lost friends. And they're struggling with sin. And they want to fight sin. They want to run away from temptations. And they want to be pleasing to you. Thank you for all these questions. I pray, Father, that, that I would model all these answers first. And that I would be a good example to them. And I pray that you would help them to also apply them. Uh, thank you for our time this morning. And uh, bless our time in the main service with Pastor Scott and Proverbs. And uh, bless our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.